Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Jasmine Richards, author and founder of StoryMix, the children's fiction development studio with a social purpose. Growing up in what she describes as a rough and tough area of North London, Jasmine was hooked on reading. Her favourite place, the local library. But the only book she read with a black female character lead was Stories Rooted in Trauma. Having graduated from Oxford University and while working in the publishing world, Jasmine had, as she says, a moment of realisation and rage, as she noticed her eldest child was not represented in his reading books either. Jasmine resolved to tackle the issue using her own writing, editing and development knowledge, and in 2019, she launched StoryMix. It's aimed to increase diversity in children's books and amongst authors, and create heroes for every child in its stories. Jasmine's since written over a dozen books for children, and StoryMix's collaborations with emerging and established BME writers and illustrators have sold over 60,000 copies in the UK and the US. It's great to have you here. Hi, Elliot. Hello. I want to read you something which apparently is your favourite quote, and it's one of mine as well. The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more you learn, the more places you'll go. From, of course, Dr. Zeus, I can read with my eyes shut, which I read to all my children at some point. True story. You're an avid reader. (laughs) Yes, I think you could say I'm an avid reader. And I think beyond that, I feel that my life experience and what I've managed to achieve is directly linked to my love of books. And there is so much data to show that a love of reading, so a joy of reading, so I'm not talking about books that are phonically decodable. It's not about learning to read, but loving to read for fun and for joy has a bigger outcome on your life chances. So you live longer, you get a better job. It has more of an impact than where you go to school, what your parents do for a living. It's magic. Reading is magic and very powerful. First book you read, do you remember it? Oh, my goodness. First book I read... Well, the first book that had an impact on The first book that I read, probably independently and read again and again and again, was Matilda. And I could feel and see quite a lot of myself in that book, like her, her love of reading and being quite young and being able to read, I definitely had a deep empathy with that. And these facts that you talk about, I feel like I've heard them sort of in passing, but they're absolutely fundamental. Why is that story not a better story told? Or have I just been asleep for the last 50 years? You know, I feel like in the world of publishing, it is really well known. So there's some fantastic work that is done by an organisation called Book Trust, and they talk about all the time about having books in the house is fundamental to kind of social mobility and having access to story is the thing that makes a difference. So there's lots of people doing fantastic work. Another organisation called Bookstart, they're the ones that make sure that every child, when they're in reception, goes home with a book. So, I mean, that information is out there, but sometimes, you know, I sort of see things out there about like tutoring your kids and helping them to get ahead. And I just want to say, just give them a book or just read to your children just read for fun like that's the magic pill if you're looking for it you know it's it's reading 
But the writing piece for you, you didn't do it to address an issue, you did it because it's in your bones. You did it because you'd read when you were young. Is that right? I mean, now obviously Story Mix has been set up to facilitate a specific thing, which I, I want you to explain in a moment. Mm-hmm. But you personally, were you compelled to write? It's really interesting because when I talked to people I went to school with, they said, I always said that I was going to be a writer. I don't actually remember that, but I do remember all the notebooks I used to keep and all of the short short stories and poems that I would write. But I actually think because there weren't many writers that looked like me, when I finished university, I didn't think that I could be a writer, but I thought I could work in publishing and be close to books that way. And it was whilst working with authors that I realised that an author is not a super being, okay? It's just someone who grafts. It's someone who does many drafts of something and gets better over time. And I think it was working with writers and seeing that that gave me the confidence to write. But I almost had to be on the other side of it to have the confidence to to call myself, name myself as writer. And now just give me the elevator pitch on Story Mix because Story I, mix. I really I think it's really fascinating. Okay, so Story Mix is an inclusive fiction studio that centres kids of colour and stories full of joy and adventure. And we create pathways into publishing for racially minoritised writers. But essentially, like an incubator, you come and you're the one that finds fantastic ideas, you then find writers, you then pitch the ideas to publishers and then things go and get made. That's pretty much it. So um, packaging, it's called packaging. I hate that phrase because I don't think we make baked beans, right? Mm. We're making stories that are delighting people and changing people's point of view on the world, but has actually existed for a really long time. So books like Nancy Drew were created by a team of people who would do the storyline, do all those plot beats, and then find a writer or writers to put the flesh on the bones. And so I've worked in publishing for almost 20 years and lots of my work has been in this realm, which is called IP or intellectual property making IP. It was the realisation that you could use this model, which is really well known in the world of publishing, probably not outside of that world, Mm. to tackle a really specific issue because it's a way of getting books onto the shelf quickly and taking up space, literally taking up space on the shelf. Very clever. I said at the beginning, and you talked about people of colour just then, and this kind of nomenclature and language are a a very interesting thing, especially Mm -hmm. in this world of equity, diversity and inclusion. And there are landmines everywhere, especially for those people that don't know what they're talking about. And I would include myself in that as much as I'm a a very committed amateur. Mm -hmm. You have expressed this in the terms of racially minoritized, mm. which I think is a really interesting, and I haven't heard that before, in terms of a group of people who have been, something has happened to them. Mm. Just give me a bit of depth around that, a bit of insight around why those are the words you've chosen, because words are weapons and you're an author, so you know what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you for saying that I know that, what I'm doing. I don't always feel like I know what I'm doing, but I just felt, it's a very recent phrase that I heard And I was like, yes, I feel like that gets at what we're trying to do. So the reason, you know, in a way, Story Mix shouldn't need to exist, right? That pathway for talented creators, regardless of background, should just be free and easy. It should just happen, okay? But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because in the industry, the gatekeepers, it's a very sort of monocultural. It's Southern, it's white, it's middle class. So those are the people making the buying decisions. And then the people getting published, it's similar again. They're white, middle class, Southern. So we've got the people making the decisions and people making the books all being of one culture. And so clearly something is happening in society why that is happening. So 
with the phrase racially minoritized, it's sort of talking about the sort of societal impacts, the challenges that prevents talent getting through the door. And I felt like it really sort of encapsulated what I think Story Mix does, which is, okay, we get the books onto the shelves, but we also take this model of packaging and sort of use it as an apprenticeship. So for me, success looks like a writer working on one of our series and then them turning around and saying, you know what, Jasmine, I loved working on this five book series with you, but I've sold my own project to Puffin or Macmillan. I can't write for you anymore. I'm doing my own thing. And that is what I want to do. I want to sort of open the door and I want to bring through as many people with me as possible. And what I always say to my team is it's always going to be hard. We are always going to be in the business of new. We're always going to be working with writers who need a little bit more extra support as they're building up their writing muscle. And as soon as they're at the point where we could sit back and not have to do as much work, that is when they're going to fly. That is the business. And it's exactly the same, I think, for different reasons around climate change. Mm. When I was sort of 20, people were talking about climate change, but they were the nutters. They were the people that we all said, what are you talking about? Actually, mm. 15 probably, because it was probably 37 years ago. You know, back in the 80s, people went, "These were this was a fringe thing. And eventually it's become mainstream. And now, of course, it's every sentient person's worry. Mm. And obviously inclusivity, I'm not mm. comparing the two in terms of gravity. I'm just saying as issues, it's now your point is, once it goes mainstream, thank you very much. I've done my job in a way. And like you said, I like your phrase, we shouldn't have to exist. Yeah. But of course, there's, there's an imbalance. What interests me is the channeling of your own experience and then through the eyes of your son as well when you mm. go, but there's no one that looks like me, that yeah. representation point, which is at the heart of inclusivity. And I think the book was that you've talked about in the past is called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. I think it's a, a book exploring the struggles of African-Americans in 1930s Mississippi. Mm. What hit you? Was it just the story? Was it as simple as that? Because you've described rage. That's a big, that's a big emotion. And how have you channeled, if it was rage, how have you, how come you're so calm? <laughs> because I had, I had my moment of rage. So the role of thunder, hear my cry experience is when I look back as my childhood and the books that I read as a child. So like I said, I read Matilda. I could see elements of myself in Matilda. But the first time I fully saw myself as someone who maybe looked like me, had the same hair texture as me, was this, it's a really wonderful book, you know, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, but it's a book rooted in trauma. So that's the first time I get to see myself fully is a book rooted in trauma. And then if we fast forward and, you know, I'm there with my son, we're moving from picture books to chapter books and I've worked really hard so that he's, you know, into reading and, you know, I really want to make sure our books represent our family and, you know, the society we live in. And sometimes I have to order in books from the States, but that's fine. That's fine. That's OK. And then we're sort of moving on to chapter books and I'm in the bookshop and I'm looking at the shelves and I can see Horrid Henry for days. That's casting no shade on Horrid Henry. I can see Beast Quest, which is another series that I actually was in the room when we came up with the idea. So I used to work for another IP company. It was one, my second job in publishing. I was in the room and there's about 100 of those books now. And I had this moment of thinking, what if when we were coming up with that series idea, I had piped up and said, hey, this is a fantasy adventure. Why don't we make our protagonist black or Asian? Like, be crazy. Like, why, don't we, why don't we do that? And if that had happened right now, there'd be 100 books on the shelves with a protagonist of colour. Um, now, I didn't say that because I was the only person in the room that looked like me. I was the most junior person in the room. But I, it was in that moment that 
I couldn't just be angry with publishing because I'd been publishing. I'd worked in publishing for all of this time and I hadn't ever dared put my head above the parapet. I was worried about how I'd be perceived. I, I was worried that I wouldn't progress. And then here I was with my own child and he wasn't there. And that was the moment of rage. I was like, that can't stand. I, I need to do something about it. And Jasmine Richard did do something about it and she founded a business called Story Mix and we're here talking about it. She'll be coming back in a couple of moments. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series, which you can find on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry, whether it's publishing or anything else, and starting your very own thing. In this clip, focused on entering the arts industries, we hear from Fabian Riggle. He was the founder of Secret Cinema and now the founder of Lost. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. I never raised any capital at the beginning. It was always about basically putting the tickets on sale, the money would come in, and then we'd spend it on the show. And which is always a bit of a risky way. Most theatre producers or you know film producers will raise the capital. <laughs> from investors and then, you know, build the shows. But we, the actual audience, were always investing in the shows. And it gave us that freedom to not have to, like, compromise for a long time. We never had to answer to anyone. We just created the show. And that's the thing I would say to anyone who's got a good idea is it's critical to make sure that you do your thing and you don't get too compromised by the money that comes in. Now it's a very exciting time because essentially everything is up for reinvention and including the way that artists release work and how that work is owned. To any budding entrepreneur, make sure that you legally understand what you're doing. The management system, the label system, the representation system, the ownership of, of, your, of the masters or the ownership of your film. Yeah, things are shifting and I think it's just extraordinary the, the resource that you have now to build an enterprise. You know, you can literally, with a thousand people that follow you, you can create a business. So that's just your family, your friends, and then times five. The Mishcon Innovation Series. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again with Jasmine if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, why not ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find a taster of our recent shows. But back to today, it's Jasmine Richards, author and founder of StoryMix, the children's fiction development studio with a social purpose. When it was just you, that's all well and dandy, and then you have to get bigger because StoryMix has ambitions, you have collaborations, you want to output lots of things which mm. are good, which change the world. Mm. How has the author managed to segue beautifully, elegantly, uh, like a swan <laughs> over there on the water? How has she managed to do that, or has it not been quite the ride that I'm describing? Um, it's interesting. So my first book published in 2012. My first book was published in the US by HarperCollins, didn't find a home in the UK. And some of the feedback that we got at that time was, love Jasmine's writing, can she write something a bit more urban? Because my, 
There's but, a trope if ever there was, was one, one, right? right? I mean, I like dragons. I like, you know, if there's yeah. not a dragon, it's not a story, right? Now you so, need it to be urban. You need in, it to be in urban. big inverted commas, whatever right. that might mean. Right. right. So I feel like in that way, Jasmine as an author was a little bit ahead of where the UK was in terms of the market and what they could get their head around, what they could pitch, where they would put me on the shelf, all of those things. Mm. Whereas in the States, they're always just that that little bit ahead. So it was kind of bad timing for me as an author, but with Story Mix, it was great timing. And, you know, the pandemic was hard for so many reasons, but from my point of view, as, as, as a female founder, as a black female founder, the pandemic meant, you know, this really young business that was only a, a, a year old, we moved from meetings in person to meeting online and, you know, have a young family. You know, my day was kind of very short in terms of the school run, you know, all about the school run, right? So um, all of a sudden, things opened up in terms of me being able to pitch to publishers and to, to, to run the business. And then we had the murder of George Floyd. And that happened during a pandemic where everyone had this moment to reflect. And there was this sort of seismic shift. There was this epiphany that happened in publishing and beyond and here I was, this little sort of cottage industry, creating books that centred kids of colour. And that was exactly the thing that publishers wanted and needed urgently in 2020. So we were a very young business that was very much in demand very quickly. So then we had to think about how, how could we scale, how could we grow, but still keep the integrity, still keep the authenticity, you know, and that has been a journey in itself, I'd say. But a nice problem to have. An amazing, yeah, an amazing problem to have. And I did wrestle for quite a long time that such a horrible thing had to happen for publishing and the world to change. But, you know, when I was in that bookshop and I was thinking about the change I wanted to make, the impact I wanted to make, I, I could spend time feeling bad about the reason why or I could get on... Yeah. Making making the content, making the books that are going to mean that in the future. Because the, the really important thing to realise is the books I'm creating aren't just for black and brown children, right? They're for all children. Because if a white child only ever reads books with a white hero, they start to, to lay that stuff down. They internalise it, mm. right? Whereas if all children are reading that all kids get to be the hero, then actually the next generation is going to be much better than our generation. Just thinking about something you said earlier, which was, you know, I was in the room and at that point I could have said, why don't we yeah. make... Would it have even landed? I mean, you, as you said, you were the youngest, you were the only black woman in there, yeah. you, were, you were the most junior person in the room. Mm. I mean, I don't think you were being hard on yourself, but I wonder whether sometimes these seismic shifts just have to happen externally. Mm. Or, or do you wish you'd have been braver and said it then? And if you had, do you think Story Mix would have been founded much earlier? I can't speak for anyone else in that room whether it would have landed or not. I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is I have been in rooms whilst I've worked in publishing where they've said, we can't have a black character on, on the cover. It won't sell. We can't commission this book because it won't sell in other territories. And I used to swallow all of that. I used to swallow all of that and go, oh, yeah, because that's the, that's the received wisdom. And I'm just going to keep on, keep on, keep on, progress. And, you know, maybe I'll get to a position in-house, in industry, where I'll have a bit more power, right? So you just... And I don't think I'm the only black person that after the death of George Floyd looked back on all the stuff that they had swallowed over this time and gone, oh my goodness, like all of these little microaggressions, little bits of trauma, and you just carried on, carried on. So I think there was a huge moment of reflection for lots of people about that. And actually, I sort of received phone calls and emails from people I'd worked with saying, I was just thinking about that thing that happened... 
I just want to say sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't an ally. Sorry I didn't say something. There was a lot of that. So it wasn't, you know, everyone was reflecting and realising that a change needed to happen and a change has happened very quickly, I would say. Those swallowing the thing that you, you know, you heard moments Mm. and the microaggressions, how has that informed your leadership style now? Because as you, as I think about you and you say it quite a lot, look, I happen to have black kids and brown kids be the heroes and heroines, but the stories are about... They're great stories, right? Yeah. They're fantasy stories or they're, you know, adventure mysteries, stories, mysteries, whatever or, they are. Yeah, so, of yeah. course, they happen to be black and brown, yeah, but yeah. actually it's about just a great story. Mm. In terms of that pain and that rage and that inequity, mm. how does that translate into you being a just and great, <laughs> informed, enlightened leader, if at all? If at all. Yeah. I think in terms of thinking about who my team are, The most important thing to me is in the same way that we incubate writers, right? In the same way that we're creating those pathways for illustrators, I want to do the same thing with the people who I work with, right? Or the people who come on this journey. And Story Mix is almost four years old. We're still quite a young company. And I don't expect those people to stay the whole time, but then I want them to go on to those big publishing houses. I want them to become editorial directors and publishers. So in that same way of being a launchpad for writers and illustrators, I kind of see that in terms of editorial staff that we work with, in terms of the marketing and the PR people. I want Story Mix to be this place where um, you get to flourish regardless of your background. So it's like this safe space. It's a safe space for our writers and illustrators. And, you know, sometimes there's some unlearning that has to happen for those writers. I'll read something. I was like, I can't hear you in this. And it's like, well, you know, because I'm doing proper writing and we have an idea of what that sounds like, you know, and it was something a bit like Ian Blyton from the 1950s. And I'm like, no, but where are you in this? Where are our lived experiences? That's what I want to see. And it's like permission, permission to come through. And the same thing with my stuff, like, You don't have to pretend. I spent a lot of time code switching. I don't want that in our team. Like Code switching meaning? Code switching is when you're in different situations. So I've got this intersection of being working class and black, right? So depending on your situation. And a woman. Well done. I mean, literally, it's like you have got... I'm dyslexic as well, actually. Oh, I mean, this is is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All the boxes. She's got the boxes ticked. But, um, But I only found out I was dyslexic. At university. Which is kind of um, the irony of that. English literature at Oxford, a writer. Yes. And there you are, you're just like, yeah, yeah. But she's like, you can't spell for toffee. Do you know, like, I don't know how <laughs> I mean, you got here. I don't great, know how you did it. Great storyteller, but your spelling <laughs> yeah, is. is awful. Spell- and you're always losing stuff and you're late. I wasn't late today. I wasn't that late, was I? No. Um. <laughs> Essentially, what I'm, what I'm hearing is, which mm. I really like, is like, just be yourself. Yes. Express what your life has been like. Use those lived experiences to translate, to become the story. Don't conform. And as you now understand, code switching. Don't be that person. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. And the just be you thing, which of course then, I imagine the industry needs a lot of changing. You're confronting the industry and by story mix existing, you do that. Mm. Are you in your own mind a revolutionary? I don't know if I'm a revolutionary, but I do say to my team, to myself, to the industry, that storytelling is activism because stories are what shape us. So I am very deliberately trying to change the trajectory for people's careers. I'm trying to change what gets chosen on prize lists, what gets stocked in the library, because all of those little things 
or big things, depending on your point of view, are going to make the difference. So for me, storytelling is activism. I'm not on Twitter fighting the good fight. And the people who do that, like more power to them. And that's where their energy is. I'm just going to quietly be here in the background creating brilliant books that delight, that are full of joy, and say to the world, you can be the hero. So we've got a series called Secret Beast Club coming out in February, so out very soon, which is about kids who discover unicorns and dragons in urban areas, okay? So it's the whole idea that in urban areas there is magic and there is this sense of sort of nurture that happens. These are kids, Jade and Aisha they're called, you don't get to see riding unicorns. You certainly don't get to see that in Hackney. So the first book is set in Hackney, Unicorns of Hackney. So, um, yeah, that's my activism. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest there. It's Jasmine Richards. And we've got some Jimmy Smith for you. And you know I love him. That's all up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Jasmine Richards has been my fabulous business shaper. She's the founder of StoryMix and an author in her own right. And the name of your most recent book is? Called The Unmorrow Curse. And what's it about? Norse gods, days of the week and a time loop. Of course. I mean, as, <laughs> I mean why not? Yeah, I mean, that's com- completely logical. <laughs> yeah. Do you still like writing? And honesty is required here on Jazz Shapers. Okay, so what you need to understand is writing a book is a very lonely... She goes into politics mode here. <laughs> yeah, you can see my hand. Elliot, let me no, no, explain. Let me explain. Yeah. So, so writing is actually quite a lonely process. Yeah. You're in a room by yourself. My wife's a writer. Yeah, writing yes. like 70,000 words. I actually much prefer working collaboratively with other writers, storyliners. I actually really enjoy business. I really enjoy negotiating and trying to get the best terms on a contract. So right now, in terms of where my energy is... I would say it's more the business, but I managed to get a book out a year and just keep that muscle going for myself. Yeah, I think you've emerged from yourself and you've realised you quite like being a fixer and a collaborator yeah. and a kind of, as you said, the, the negotiator, making it happen, realising the dream. It doesn't have to be you that's physically written it. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And I think I've always said one of my superpowers is great ideas. You know, I'm good at that bit. That's okay to claim that and say I've got really good ideas, but that discipline to sit and write 70,000 words, you know, I can do it, I have done it, I've done it many times, but, I mean, it's it's maybe not what I want to do with all of my time right now where I am in my life. I might come back to it, I might yeah. come back to it when I'm older and my kids are older. But it fits in with what I'm hearing about your vision, which mm. is a vision for changing the industry. You're, mm. not, you're not bemoaning how awful this industry is or the mm. people within it, it's just simply mm. it's sort of been stuck, mm. it's getting unstuck. What's it going to take for real change beyond bits here and bits there. And I'm not saying they've been peripheral, but Mm. what's it going to take for it to be a time when story mix doesn't need to exist? What two or three things need to change? Fundamentally, I think the publishing houses have to look like the society that they serve, right? So they are the guardians of culture, okay? They are the gatekeepers. And as long as those gatekeepers are only a sort of sliver of society, then we've got a problem. So... That's a massive thing that has to change. And I mean, that is happening. So we're getting more regional offices, not we, but publishing houses have got offices in Manchester and in Birmingham and lots of other different places. So then who's coming through the door is different. We're getting some regionality there. There's lots of efforts in terms of trying to get people from different cultural heritages through the door. But are they staying? That's the other thing. I think there's been this push to get people through the door, but the retention and them getting to the level where they are the most important person sitting at that table, I 
don't think we're quite there yet. That will need to happen. And that makes sense to me. You said earlier that you're sort of happy to be behind the scenes and pulling the strings and, and all that stuff. But are you also comfortable having a symbolic presence in the industry where people do come to you because of all the boxes you ticked before yeah. <laughs> so great, so yeah. brilliantly? Yeah, but is that boxes. are you okay with that or is that does that I, I actually have become far more confident and comfortable with doing that. Because actually when you're in the room and you're talking to lots of people, what I've learned is you have no idea what will come out of it, right? So I might find a writer, might find an illustrator, might find a publisher who wants to work with us, that might find an audio producer who wants to do audio content with us. Like you just need to be out there representing your business and saying, this is the change we want to make. If you want to help, listeners, if you want to help, get in touch, right? Let's let's do this thing. So that's just the role of a founder is to be out there and be symbolic. And I think the the hard thing for me is I've been so used to sort of being the head chef and the dishwasher and doing all those things through the business, it's letting go of some of those other elements to give me the space to do that piece where you're sort of front and centre and sort of talking about your brand. That's been hard to allow myself to say that's part of what my role is, you know? I hope you get really comfortable with that bit of the role because you're doing a great job of it and it's a really important one to do. So you, keep going, you. keep yeah. being head chef, keep being the proprietor, yeah. let other people do all the dishwashing and the, yeah. and the writing. And but, the writing. Um, it's been great talking to you. I'm sure your mum, Monica, is proud. And oh I'm my sure goodness, you said her I name. Said her name. She's going to be losing her mum. She's going to be very happy. Uh, and I know she listens to the show, she's yeah. very good, I'm very happy. Just before I let you go, though, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I did an English degree, right? So it had to be linked to that. It's a song called Wuthering Heights by Cecile McLaurin-Salvon. And it's an incredibly powerful song. So it starts off, it's very spare to begin with. Actually, I don't want to ruin it in case people haven't heard it. It just gives me goosebumps every single time. Cecile McLaurin-Salvon there with Wuthering Heights, the song choice of my business shaper, Jasmine Richards. She talked about being in the business of new. She's been breaking boundaries for as long as she set this business up and she will continue to do so. She talked about storytelling as activism, which I really like. It's a way to make things happen. And finally, she raised a really important dilemma for all entrepreneurs and all founders, that moment when you have to go in front, right in front of things and become the biggest brand advocate and let other people get on and maybe do things in a slightly different way. But if you do that, then real change happens. Fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.